Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We're equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Pastor Michael Lockstamp for, and I need to apologize. Again. You may have noticed that I set you up to hear Exodus 1 and 2 on Friday, and then we listened in on Exodus 3 and 4. Well, I'm sorry to say that I've been having a little bit of a trouble. Well, I'm sorry to say that I've been having a little bit of a problem keeping track of the sermon audio. When I started again, when I rebooted this podcast, I thought I had set up a foolproof system to keep track of those things, but apparently it was no match for me. The long and short of it is that I don't have a recording for the first episode of our By His Hand series. It slipped through the cracks and into oblivion. I'm sorry. I do have the others, though. I've labeled them properly, and I've stored them securely, and I'm going to share them with you. Um, And I also corrected the system that I was using to keep track of these things. I'm going to be diligent not to make the same mistakes again. Thank you for your understanding. Today, Pastor Todd McQueen is picking up in Exodus chapter 5. We like to think that when we choose to follow God, our life will get easier. But we see in these chapters that God's promise of victory does not always mean the absence of difficulty. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, church. We'll be in Exodus chapter 5 this morning. Exodus chapter 5. And by God's hand, we'll see God's hand working in impossible ways this morning. So this morning... So we get started. How many remember the name that tune, that TV show? You remember it? Okay, so we're going to play a short version of Name That Tune. And Hannah, will you play it now? Come on, Debbie's the only one that knows it? Okay, it's Mission Impossible. Okay, well, good deal. Maybe it was so easy. You're all like, well, I thought that was going to be hard. You would have been like, I can do that in half note. <laughs> so well, the Mission Impossible. Um, Michael, my clicker's not working. So tell me something about Mission Impossible, the movie. How's it start? The movie. Okay, so you got the theme song. <laughs> Good job, Robbie. So, okay, so Ethan gets what? He gets an assignment. That would be an impossible assignment. And what does it say? The assignment. If you so choose to. Uh, yep. And then what happens then? It blows up. Ba-boom. So then we got the beginning, which we all recognize because of the theme song. He gets the assignment. And what's the rest of the movie? How he does it. But it's impossible. He has help. And he does some crazy things to get it done. Right? This morning, Moses and the people are in the same situation. They get a mission from God to go tell Pharaoh what? To let the people go so they'll have time to worship him. And, Pharaoh, and they get together, 
And they have this big worship service because God says victory is assured. We arrange this team. It will happen over and over again. God says, you're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win. And today we find ourselves smack dab in uh, Exodus 5. And we find out the plan will work, but only by God's hand. And the plan is victorious. So move with me to Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went, to, went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day Pharaoh converted... Okay, stop there. So... Where are we at in the story? Where does it start with? After Moses and Aaron went afterwards. What had just happened? The end of chapter 4 is they just had a great worship gathering. The people were excited that God had visited them. And after God had promised to rescue them from their bondage, after they had seen God's work in Moses and Aaron, after they'd seen the miraculous signs to verify their belief in God, after being assured of victory, they have a worship gathering. They're celebrating this. So Aaron and Moses stay on mission and go to Pharaoh with a message. Let the people go so they can hold a feast in the wilderness. God wants his people to continue this worship. He wants them to have a party in the wilderness. God wants his people's time. The request is give God's people time to worship corporately, together. So how does Pharaoh respond? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I don't know, nor do I care, nor do I give any value to your God. Moreover, I won't give you more time. But look at Moses and Aaron's response. But, but God has met with us. We have just finished worshiping. Please let us go and worship him. It'll be good for you too. Because if we don't do this, God will punish us with either plagues or with the sword. It's in your best interest too to let us go worship. And how does the king of Egypt respond? You want time off work? Nope. Get back to work. What's happening? They don't identify with the value. They just had this worship gathering. God has shown up, and they've gone into their community and said, God's done this incredible thing. I can't wait to ask you for something, wait to interact with you. And the person goes, who are you talking about? I find no value in that. And you want something from me? Just pause here for a second. How often has this happened to you in your community? You've had a great time on Sunday, a great time in your Bible study, a great time somewhere during the week, and you can't wait to tell somebody about it. God's asking something from them too. What is that? Their life? And you start talking about it, and they're like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Let alone you go to your boss. 
I want to share something with you. Uh, there's no value in that as the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're a moron. You're a Christian, whatever. You almost vote the wrong way or whatever. So this happens right here in this text. And don't miss it because they're excited to go from him. And what have they have been assured? Victory. So all they got to do is go to the boss and ask for time off. God said, we'll win. And then all of a sudden the boss says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Get back to work. In fact, our immigration problem is still unchecked. You guys are still populating like crazy. So our population control program obviously didn't work with you all. So get back to work. You want time off? I'm going to take time away from you. You're idle. You've had too much time. So how is this request for leave denied? Pick up with me in verse 6. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you find it, but your work will not be reduced the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And were asked, why have you not done all the, your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? In verse 15, the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now. And work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So, how does Pharaoh react? Less resources, same quota. You want a time off? Okay, I'll make your job even tougher. He orders the slave drivers to remove the provided assistance in producing the daily quotas. He orders that their daily quotas will not be reduced as they obviously have too much time off. You want time? The very thing you want, I'll take away from you. You want to worship with that time? Worship who? I don't believe in that God. That's why he says lying words. He essentially removes any opportunities for corporate worship. So Pharaoh orders their immediate supervisors, keep the quota production the same. So the Hebrew foreman, here's what's happening. He tells the boss, taskmasters, go tell the Hebrew foreman. So the Hebrew foreman come to Pharaoh and plead their case, which makes a ton of sense. Our unions would do the same thing. Hey, why are you treating us like this? You are giving us harsh demands. 
then make it even harder by removing the necessary assistance we need to meet our quotas. Then beat us when we don't produce and say, you're lazy, you're lazy, you're idle. You foreman, how's he respond? You bosses are the problem. Get your people working. What are they asking for? Time to what? Worship God. Pharaohs, I'm your God. I'm the one that pays your rent. I'm the one that's taking care of you. I'm your boss. I can give you more time for that, God. You give it to me. Then the foreman saw that they were in trouble. Following God, doing what God's asked is what's been the life like at work? Been bad. Things aren't going well. The boss isn't happy with you. So, what are the reactions to this plan by God's hand? Look at verse 20. So the foremen walk outside, and they meet Moses and Aaron, who are waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to him, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So the Hebrew foremans come back out of their meeting with the boss. And who do they launch their tirade at? Moses and Aaron. Look what they say. The Lord look upon you and judge you because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh. And he wants to now kill us. From recently just Finish praising God for God being in their lives, for God sending these messengers to them with evidences of God's power of doing things so they will believe in God. Things don't go well, and who's the first person they lash out to? God's messengers. Hurt people hurt people. Why are they hurt? God, you said we'd do this. All we had to do was ask, and we'd get a bunch of time off to go worship. And we just got done worshiping. We're following your plan. So now that we're hurt, now we're really hurting at work. Life hasn't gone good, God, following you. We're going to take it out on God's people and the leadership. Moses and Aaron obviously have encouraged them to go. They're standing outside the door. So imagine standing out there, you've encouraged your people to go and talk to the boss. God's called you to do this. Follow him. Okay, okay, I'm going to go in there. So you're waiting outside, and as soon as they walk out from the office, what do they do? You! I asked you to, you wanted me to be a Christian, and you asked me to stand up for what God wants at the workplace, and I get treated like that? You! You're the problem. You're the one that makes life tough. And how does Moses react? He's a hot-headed fellow. He turns to the Lord. I love the language. Then Moses literally turns to the Lord. 
frustrations and hurt are ha- will happen. And by the way, God isn't scared or surprised. He just lays it out to God. You can see Moses' heart right there on his sleeve with God. The challenges of today's turmoil are a part of the process of turning to God. Part of Moses' leadership training had to be God saying, encourage these people to follow me, and when they lash out at you, you'll turn to me. Now, who would sign up for that discipleship training? The list would be pretty short. But God's there waiting. Hey, guys, I told you this victory is going to be assured. Go and ask. Moses, take these guys in there and work with them to be obedient to me. Then they turn around and lash at Moses, and Moses turns around right to God. Not back at them. If Pharaoh had said something like this, Yes, I just received a report on religious freedom from the Bureau of Labor Relations today, and sure, I can see where you have a point. Your request for leave by your voice or petition is just enough to sway me. I will let you all go for a three-day, three-week vacation. We love things to go like that when we go to work. What is God doing? All you got to do is go ask. And when they deny it, they turn around and like, Moses, you're at fault. And Moses turns around and looks at God and says, Oh, Lord, why have you done this evil to the people? Why did you ever send me? Since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, which is a big deal, I am. He has done evil to the people. Get this, you have not delivered your people at all. God, I've done what you've asked, and the outcome is horrible. God, I've done what you've asked, and we see zero evidence of your promised deliverance. Our expectation expectation is that you'd work this out a lot quicker and with a lot less pain. Remember, Moses is keeping to the plan. What's the plan? Exodus 3 and 4 have said this over and over again. All you got to do is go and ask. By the way, along the way, it's going to be difficult. And I'm going to reassure you over and over again that the victory is assured. He's following this plan. What's the problem? Step two is hard. It's costing us a lot. I'm okay signing up here. Hey, it's going to be a little difficult to reach your community for Jesus. All right. When it costs you a whole bunch, whoa, 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 whoa. Now it's mission impossible. Everybody is against us. Step two takes a lot longer than what we wanted, what we wanted to give, and God is asking way too much for me, and the the results are not coming in fast enough. At what point do we bail? Right here. This is where we come out of the meeting and go to another person in church and just rip their head off. This is where we call up the pastor and say, hey, I wanted to be a good Christian this week, and things went horribly. You are full of... Or when you're discipling somebody, and we say, hey, follow Jesus. Victory is assured. It's going to be tough. And they go, okay, I'll sign up. Then the first road bump, they come to you and say, check that. Check that. 
I love Moses' prayer. The prayer life of Moses is so sweet. That's why I like the Psalms too. That's why I like what we read in Job, because it's real deal. God, where are you at? Life really is hard right now. You haven't done anything that I can see, and I want to follow you. God answers him. Chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take, care, take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their spirit, broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For, I'm an, for I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now you're going to see. God says to Moses, now you will see. This is a rescue mission that only a God can win. This is a mission impossible. Only God can pull this off. This is by God's hand only. Every Hebrew in the story is forced to admit that God is the only one that can do this. And God says, I revealed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to you all, I'm going to reveal myself in a unique and new way. It's going to be, pref it's going to be powerful. Why? I am. I am present. He says, here are the ten Things I want you to tell the Hebrews. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you for slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give you the land as a possession. Anybody good at English tell me what the tense is of all those I wills? Huh? Future. The all-present God says, I am. We've been through this. I am. I will do it. Sandwiched in the I am. God will. 
love Moses' heart. Moses tells them. Moses tells the people, but they don't listen because their spirit is broken. It's been a harsh life. They're fully resigned to defeat. They can't do it. There's no hope in the night. This part of the Bible makes it sound like God is incredibly harsh, doesn't it? I've given you all these promises. And the people's heart broken. They don't listen. It's one thing to discipline your kids, but when you break them down to the point where they're just done, we don't like that. God's got his entire people. got Moses and Aaron right there. Can you feel their heart? God, I followed you. You reassure it again with 10 points that are in the future. We're down. We're up. Listen very carefully. This is an incredible point in the turn of the scripture. Why? God's got them right where he needs them. We want to follow Jesus. We want to make disciples who make disciples, and it's going rough. Sometimes God breaks us to that point where we say, I can't do it. This is beyond me, God. I want to follow you, and I'm running out of the spiritual tank is running low. My physical tank is running low. People are exasperating me to no end, and I'm doing what you've asked me to do, and there's no return on investment yet. I'm done. I'm crying in the night by myself, or I'm sharing my heart with somebody that's a close friend. And this is really tough because you want to have faith in Jesus. You want to follow him really well, and yet it's not going as good as you want or what your expectations for it were. Because all they had to do was go ask Pharaoh and go on vacation. God's got him right where he wants. Why? Because only by God's hand is this going to come true. And at the end of this, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Everybody in the continent's going to know about me. God uses us for an assured victory, but it's only by his hand that we get through it. Then God says to Moses, get back in there. Go back in. Let the people go out of this land. We're setting up for where we'll go next week. It's a hand versus hand. Victory is through God's hand. God's making a point. Hey, all you, Moses and Aaron, it's not going to be by your hand. The Hebrews, you're all slaves. You don't even get voting rights. It's not going to be because you guys have a talented coup. And by the way, this is going to be deeper than you ever would imagine. It's God's hand versus Satan's hand. We will go through all the plagues in one Sunday. Those are all of God versus some type of form they worshipped. God's going to, I'm doing a stellar example on a celestial plane that you all can't even see. When Jesus was commissioned into his ministry, where did he go first? He gets baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him. God says, you are my beloved son in whom am I well pleased. Where does he go then? Into the wilderness. And what happens? It's a spiritual showdown. All the angels, it's a Super Bowl of Super Bowls. All the demons on one side and all the angels on the other because what is it? It's Jesus versus Satan. 
This is all, think about this is right here. God's setting the, the, the stage that it's going to be my hand versus his hand. And I'm going to prove that I am the Lord, their God. Does it work? Does Moses go back inside? Pick up with me with the genealogy. And I've worked on this, and hopefully it goes through. This is a hard read, but there's a reason why it's here. Let's read a genealogy together. So no one excited ever. Ready? Pick up in verse 14. These are the heads of the father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanach, Palu, Hezron, and Kimri. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jemin, Ochad, Shachin, Johar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generation. Jershon, Kohath, Meriah, and the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Jershon, Libni, Shimi, by their clans. The sons of Johoth, Aram, Ezo, Hebron, Ezeel, and the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. These are the sons of Merai, Mahai, Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amran took his wife, Shechavid, his, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Ezor, Korah, Nephek, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishil, Ezaphan, and Sithiri. Aaron took his wife, Elishbi, Lishaba, the daughter of Abimadad, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadib, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar, the sons of Korah, Ashir, Elkna, and Abiasasaph. These are the clans of Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Petul, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites by their clans. Whew. Genealogy. What's the purpose of the genealogy? Pay attention. Let's just pick Levi. Levi had Aaron. Aaron has Eleazar. Eleazar. Then Phinea. Proof is in the victory of the family. These guys are yet to be alive. These guys are yet to hit the scene. Later on in Exodus, they're going to be big names in the priesthood. So why, when Moses wrote this down and said, here's the history of your people, O Israel, here's the recording of how you were rescued. And it's at the darkest night. It's at the worst part of the story. And Moses said, I can't do it anymore. And God's like, good, you're broke down. That's exactly where I need you. I'm going to prove myself. And then you read a genealogy. Oh, what's the proof they won? What's the proof that he went back in and talked to Pharaoh? His kids. Aaron's kids. The cool thing about the story is Aaron's kids are really pretty messed up. There's some fun Bible stories about this, like getting burned up alive and stuff. But, you know, God is going to work through them after this story. For instance, a young couple gets married. Right straight and maybe even not even out of high school. And we all sit around as older folks saying, I wonder if they'll make it. And somebody through a time capsule says, yeah, they do. They have 13 grandkids. Four of them are doing this. Four of them are doing this. Four of them are in ministry over here. Two are over here serving God over here. Some of these are incredible singers that God has 
brought up to write psalms that we'll sing. It's here. It's a genealogy. Victory is the people. Victory is the people. They did. They did turn around and go back in there. The greatest legacy of our faith in following God, the greatest proof of our spiritual victory is the people who come after us. The courage of Moses and Aaron to go back into Pharaoh. Someday, Aaron's voice be a benefit of that. Did Aaron turn around and go back in? This morning, somebody has invested in your life to tell you about Jesus. Somebody had the courage to talk to you when you said, ah, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. I said that. Somebody made a spiritual child. You were adopted into God's family because one person or a group of person or somebody in the story of your life took the time to interact with you. Therefore, who's your generation? I look at an incredibly well-diversified group here, and I love that stuff. But I know my wife loves grandkids like there's no tomorrow. And if I were to say, hey, you want a 15-carat diamond, or do you want to see all grandkids next month? Grandkids. Let's make that our spiritual course. With whom will I invest time with to share the good news of Jesus Christ? So that then will be my spiritual descendant. It's not all about us. Moses and Aaron, get in there. It's not about you all. I got plans for what you can't even imagine God's thinking. The proof of victory is people. Move with me to verse 26. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On this day, when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I have uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? It's repeated. It was on that day. It was on that day they had the courage to turn around and go back into that room. It was on that day that Moses said to God, Hey, I can't talk. i got another excuse. It was on that day, sandwiched between the genealogy, but it was on that day that God said, Come here, boys. Tell him everything I've told you. And you see him going. Okay, they did it. But it was on that day. Look how it's sandwiched in between on the other side of the genealogy. It was that day that changed generations to come. It was that day that Moses and Aaron had the courage to go back in. 
but they're just guys, and they're just guys with some super good flaws. But God has everyone in this plan exactly where he wants them. Only God, by God's hands will they be rescued. The genealogy is proof that God's hand will redeem his people. This is where a beautiful thread of redemption comes in, to buy back. You were slaves and I bought you. What is your on that day? When did you come to know Jesus and decide to follow him? But when the more courageous one, not to dismiss that, is, wow, life is tough. The odds are against me. Everything at work is going horrible around me, and people around me are even hurting me. The people that I'm leading have just ripped my heart out and said, you are the problem. And God says, go and tell them. It was on that day. What is your day? It could very well be tomorrow morning at the workplace. It could be tomorrow morning at the beauty parlor. It could be tomorrow morning wherever you are. It could even be this today. It was that day that fill in your name had the courage to go back in. Because only by God's hand can we participate in his victorious plan. It is really a mission impossible. God works with us to do what he wants to do. There's a beautiful tension here that I love reveling in, and I refuse to solve for you. Moses, obey me. Do what I've asked. Moses, you can't do this. I got you. Now get back in there and do what I told you. It's a beautiful tension. What's the plan? Make disciples. It's going to be difficult, but our victory is assured. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala, or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. If we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.